Welcome to the podcast. I'm Nathan Fink, and this is New Hampshire Family Now, a show about building family in the Granite State. Today in the podcast, trauma responsive stress counselor Doug Bonema talks about building more nurturing environments for our youths. And later, we celebrate Miranda Terry, recent winner of the Lucy Folks Breed Family Service Award. New Hampshire Family Now is brought to you by the New Hampshire Charitable Foundation. Since 1962, the Charitable Foundation has worked hand-in-hand with generous and visionary citizens to maximize the power of giving and support, collaborate, and lead innovative initiatives. Initiatives like New Hampshire Tomorrow, which is focused on making sure children and families have access to education, health care, and career pathways to ensure every family member thrives. To learn more about New Hampshire Charitable Foundation and all their initiatives, go to www. NHCF.org. This podcast was also brought to you by Family Support New Hampshire. Family Support New Hampshire is NH's coalition of family resource centers and family strengthening programs that exist to ensure Granite State families have access to resources so both caregivers and children can succeed because supported families are strong families. To find a family resource center near you, visit www.fsnh.org. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to continue this conversation about Mental Health Awareness Month with Doug Bonema, Trauma Responsive Stress Counselor. Doug, welcome to the show. Hi, Nathan. It's good to see you. It's good to see you again. <laughs> so I want to start with that. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what a Trauma Responsive Stress Counselor is? Yeah, I think it just to put it in context, a lot of schools have become trauma-informed and I think they get in a position where now what? What do we do? And so the purpose of this role is to go into schools and pilot school-based interventions that directly impact, you know, ch- the children's adverse experiences. Let's talk about that environment uh, a little bit. Why is that school environment such a good area to enter with regards to this role? When we talk about ACEs or, or ch- adverse childhood experiences, the experience is, is the key. It's the key to the impact, but it's also the key to healing. If it was problematic or abusive relationships for a kid, part of that healing requires a lot of experiences that run counter to that. And schools, there, there's no other place where they spend so much time. And they're with people who teachers and and school staff who work hard to get to know them. So in terms of opportunity for experiences that can be healing, uh, schools offer, I think, a great solution to what are we going to do about like the prevalence of trauma in kids? I think you're right. The relationship that teachers have year over year over year with these kids, Mm -hmm. these, you know, coaches too. Yeah. Yeah. So why is environment or the, the continuous nature of an environment so important when we're talking about moving past ACEs? That part, I think, has to come to the power of relationships and not just like the relationships a child might have with the staff in the school, but the relationships among the the personnel in school. People used to think I was a little crazy sometimes when I said this is a school counselor, but it's good if kids get upset and have a tantrum or whatever people want to call it, because that's showing us where they're at. It's also an opportunity to meet them with an experience that helps them learn how to 
regulate. What you're saying is emotional response, tantrum, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we don't have to make it negative, right? But like when you're seeing an emotional response in a child, that is good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so uh, one of the kids I'm working with is quick to anger in a school. If the staff has some flexibility in their time, I can meet him outside for recess when he's, you know, losing it, playing basketball with the other kids. And then that becomes a real experience, a real situation that he deals with every day that we can begin to talk about. Yeah. Like, gosh, you get angry so quickly. That must be so frustrating. So first of all, we got to meet kids where they're at, which is not trying to necessarily stifle an emotional response because that's stifling. It's understanding an emotional response, mm-hmm. using it then to move forward and then moving, using it to move forward in an intentional way. Because I know that as a trauma responsive stress counselor, you have you know different programming that you're working with, like let's say bounce back. Mm-hmm. Can you describe how that program functions? Yeah. And, and it's one of the ones that directly addresses trauma, which I think is important to point out. I think there's a lot of social emotional opportunities for learning that schools wield and use well, but bounce back recognizes that there are kids in school that are going to be impacted by their trauma. It works to identify them in terms of like where it creates that uh, space where it's safe to talk about trauma. Some of that is just talking about it for both kids and their families. I mean, every kind of conceivable kind of trauma it's really uncomfortable to acknowledge and even acknowledging it with other people, you can get some pretty uncomfortable pushback or reactions as well. So simply being able to talk about it in a way where, you can, okay. where you can both handle it uh, like emotionally, right? Like I'm strong enough to, right. to hear your story. And it sort of, as it gets started, begins to provide hope. Right. As you were saying that, I'm like, oh, yes, I can see that, you know, from in the individual pushback, right? All of a sudden, I'm like, you know what? I'd rather that trauma stays right where it is. And then, you know, it's once in a while it comes out. And then all of a sudden, I got to figure out now to say, it's probably time to address this. But then there's this other force, which is scary for the people around you. If I start talking about my trauma, what happens to my inner circle, which includes my friends and family that may have been part of those traumas or my team's school work environment teams. Right. And so I guess I wanted to ask about that. Why should we not be afraid of talking about trauma? What we know about kids is that they are. Well, we're all just meaning making machines. There's a vacuum and the kids have to fill the vacuum for like, why is this happening to me? They begin to form a worldview. And when they're young, it's pretty malleable, but it gets more and more fixed as they get older. And the worldview starts to look something like, well, the world's a bad place, man. It's dangerous out there. And the people in the world, they are looking to hurt me or exploit me. And well... I must be bad or unworthy of love and caring for these things to keep happening to me. That's a that's a mindset that can sink a kid because it's an invisible uh, disability is the wrong word, but it's an invisible thing that people can't always see. And schools have, you know, up until recently been in the business of asking like, well, really, what's wrong with you? Why are you behaving this way? And that just kind of keeps the downward spiral going, I think, for these kids. Right. Because then it localizes it in them. that yeah. This is their issue. This yeah. is not a circumstance that we can control because it is kind of that good egg, bad egg situation. Mm-hmm. To the other layer of that question, because I'm notorious for asking a questions at once. (laughs) Why should those around the child, school staff, teacher, 
teachers, parents even, why should they embrace these conversations? Not to get too heady, but like the, there's so much pressure or momentum or whatever, I think, at least in this society to gloss over things that are bad and just keep on moving. I mean, I keep coming back to the kid. It's better for the kid. But I also think working with traumatized kids is hard. We, we, we know about secondary traumatic stress and that kind of thing. My sense of what is really driving people to leave schools is, I mean, no one gets into in it for the money. I think they can't achieve what they want to in almost a moral kind of sense. And if you're squeezed out of that by a lot of other responsibilities or by a culture that doesn't recognize trauma, it becomes unsustainable. Yeah. Now, I know that this Bounce Back Say is only one program. Can you tell us a little bit about Miss Kendra? Yeah. The Miss Kendra program, we became aware of it through the movie Resilience, which for a lot of people, uh, I think especially in schools, was was a starting point for a trauma-informedness for people. And it's a program that creates sort of an uh, imaginary trusted adult for kids, Miss Kendra, who's experienced her own loss and as a result of, you know, her post-traumatic transformation has made the decision to help kids. And what is a central part of the program is Miss Kendra develops sort of this list after talking with all these kids that, gosh, these things shouldn't happen to kids. They shouldn't be punched or kicked. They shouldn't be harmed because of their race, religion, or gender. They shouldn't be touched in their private parts. And it sort of lays out for all of us, like, no, these things shouldn't be happening to kids. And it talks about why. And we spend about four weeks on each one of those things in the list. And I think one of the key elements of the program the, that really hits kids in their sort of imaginary world, but also makes it sort of a real experience is that they write letters to this fictitious person. So there's so many multiple opportunities for them to test this idea of like, wait, I can regularly tell this person, this is what's hard for me right now. And it's, it's beautiful in that, like some kids will write about their struggle with the death of, of their pet lizard. Other kids will write about, you know, the, the reason we're doing the program, like where our family doesn't have enough to eat or, you know, my mom gets beat up by my dad all the time, that kind of stuff. And there's a, a piece to the program uh, or the narrative, I mean, of Miss Kendra is that it, it's resilience focused. And when she knows that a child's gone through something that was hard for them, she gives them a red bead mm -hmm. and says, this is for your strength. What are some of the impacts that you're seeing from this work? It's been some of the most powerful work I've done in, in all of my career. Kids are reporting when bad things are happening to them, when it happens. Self-reporting. Uh-huh. Like I need to tell a trusted adult. Exactly. And it makes me think about those behaviors is making sure as adults, and this is something I'm working through, is that I'm not quick to judge the behavior. I'm quick to find the opportunity for learning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the schools were mostly about redirecting kids. So you don't really get any chance as a kid to work through whatever's bothering you. You're just like, put it aside, get back to work kind of thing. Right. But with this, we see kids moving through stuff. It's reshaping their worldview. Because if what you said is true earlier, that if I hold this in, my worldview is being shaped of distrust, fear, mm -hmm. and kind of that, you know, lizard brain amygdala situation. Yeah. 
But if I start to process this and I start to identify that one, the environment is should be this way. And in that environment, there are trusted adults. What you're giving me is what you said earlier, hope. And not just an, as in an individual. And then when we know one relationship with a, with a trusted adult is important, but if you are building an awareness that this whole culture in my school is like that, it's really powerful. This has been fascinating. Fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. And I want to have you back when we can talk further about this. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it, Nathan. And when we come back, we welcome Lucy Folks Breed Award winner, Miranda Terry. Don't go anywhere. Many thanks to New Hampshire's Office of Social and Emotional Wellness for sponsoring this podcast. Started within New Hampshire's Department of Education, the Office of Social and Emotional Wellness consolidates policy development and implements projects and programs that are focused on health and wellness with an emphasis on behavioral health of all students, youth, and families. To learn more about the Department of Education and its many programs and approaches, visit www.education.nh.gov. Today's show was also brought to you by Burgu Media, a full service media company dedicated to helping nonprofits realize impact stories for print, video, social, and legacy media, and more. Both budget-conscious and grant-friendly, Ergo Media helps your organization celebrate the humans in human services. Learn more at ergomedia.com. And a quick note before we return to the show, mark your calendars because New Hampshire Gives is right around the corner. June 6th and 7th, Granite Staters turn out in mass to support the organizations that make New Hampshire such a wonderful place for our families. Visit NH Gives, where you can search for your local family resource center or other family support programs, or even New Hampshire Children's Trust. Because when we strengthen Granite State families, all of New Hampshire succeeds. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today on the show, I'm excited to welcome Miranda Terry, leader and co-president of the Brookline PTO, as well as the recent winner of the Lucy Folks Breed Family Service Volunteer Award. Miranda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you. Congratulations on winning the award. I'm so thrilled to celebrate you in this way. So when you were nominated, received the award, what did it feel like to be celebrated for your volunteerism? Actually, so I have to say, I, you know, I got nominated and I was completely shocked and, you know, read the write up about Lucy and I mean, she was just absolutely amazing and has done so many things in her life. So um, I was really honored, but I didn't really know what that night was going to be like, you know, awards night. Anybody who knows me, I'm not shy. I'm not, you know, not one to get socially awkward, but like to have everybody there coming in the auditorium for me, I felt a little awkward. I felt a little like, I don't know, like my, you know, my parents were there, principals, teachers, friends, community members, the janitor at the school came out for me. I mean, like the librarian, like it was just, I don't know, this moment of like, oh my gosh, these people are all here for me. This is this is too much. <laughs> and then um, meeting Lucy's um, sons was amazing. And I, you know, I couldn't have known what to expect with that. And they were just the most wonderful men. And they had so many wonderful things to say about their mom and just talking with them and learning more about her. I learned that we actually have like a lot of things in common, which was really funny. And we had a lot of laughs about it. Like they were saying how they were always running late and running around and how disorganized she was. And I was like, oh my gosh, me too. Like, even though I do all these volunteering things, and even though I'm doing a lot of things in town behind the scenes, I'm kind of a hot mess, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it just made it feel good. Like that was like, yeah, you can still like be this volunteer and you can still do all these things to help your community, but like, you're not perfect. And I think sometimes people think that all oh, people who are, you know, head of the PTO or head of this, you know, the, on the board or the school board, it's like, you're still human and you're still just like everybody else. You're just trying to help make things better for your community. Yeah. 
when you say that, I keep thinking like, give what you have. You know, even if like you say hot mess, right? <laughs> you know, volunteerism is such a wonderful thing. And I want to know what drives your compulsion to serve your community the way you do. So I I never even thought I would end up being so involved in volunteerism. Um, it's not something that I like grew up with or something I was planning on doing. Um, but I moved to Brookline as a young mom with a, you know, a baby into a you know rural town and it's hard to meet people and I'm very social and a very people person. So I was like, all right, well, I need to like figure out how to get involved in town because I need to meet people and I don't want to wait until my, you know, my first son's in kindergarten, you know? Mm. So I found out about the Brookline Women's Club and that was an organization that had been go- been around for over 20 years. And these women had done, you know, breakfast with Santa, Easter egg hunts, um, you know, different community projects for the town, just an awesome group of women who have had done many things for the community over the years. And they were getting ready to close their doors because they weren't getting volunteers anymore. Their events really weren't being that well attended anymore. And one of the women put something on Facebook and I saw it and I was like, here's my opportunity. And me and a few other moms I had met went to a meeting. We said, have one more meeting. Like, don't close your doors yet. Like, we didn't even know about the women's club. Like, we didn't even hear about it yet. Like, before you just end it, let us come check it out. So we had a meeting and I walked out president. (laughs) 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 My friend walked out secretary. My other friend walked out vice president. We were like, what have we done? But that was five years of, I was either president or vice president in those five years. And that was really how I got my feet wet. And it was how I got to know a lot of people in town and got to keep those community events alive. So when you're living in a small town like Brookline, everything's volunteer. Fire department, even the EMTs. I mean, people who come out for the egg hunt or come out for breakfast with Santa or come to the tree lighting, everything is done by a group of volunteers. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. Unless you have these volunteers, these events will die. So that was a big driving force was I just moved to this quaint, lovely town. And now I'm hearing like, we might lose our breakfast with Santa. We might lose our egg hunt. We might lose all these little community small town living things. That was five years. And we built the club back up. It only had a few members um, left. And at one point during um, our time, we were up to about 40 members. So that was amazing. Mm -hmm. We added more events. We kind of, you know, gave some events a little bit more of a modern spin and kind of changed them a little bit to go with how things are now really got onto social media and um, yeah. And that was what I did for five years. And then decided I wanted to turn my attention to the PTO because that's where my kids are and my boys are seven and nine. So right now they're in first and third. So, um, but I've been the PTO president. This is my second year. Yeah. Ultimately I want my children and the children of Brookline to like have a really well-supported school community and that was a tough time. That was during COVID. And that's when we kind of took over and we were trying to find ways to support the community and the teachers and the kids and all the events we used to do, we couldn't do. And we kind of had to really pivot and just figure out ways, mostly honestly, to make sure the teachers felt appreciated during that time, because it was just such a hard time for them. There's a couple of things in what you said that I think are so wildly important. One, when you volunteer, it gives you something back. You know, like you started out talking about like, I needed this thing and it, and then it kind of embeds you further in the, the community. And I think that's really important because what you loved about the community, you are actively trying to preserve or improve. And it kind of follows you through the, your own course 
course of your life. And so I'm curious on that front with regards to community, what are some of the impacts that you're seeing beyond the fact that, look, the Women's Club didn't close its doors, the Easter egg hunt still exists. How has your effort affected the idea of community? Well, I'd like to hope that the efforts between the Women's Club and the PTO over these years has continued to keep our close-knit community strong and, you know, making, you know, the children of Brookline feel supported and that they have these, you know, in this society, in this day and age, everything is turning technology. Everything's turning, you know, people aren't getting together anymore like they used to. There's not as many like in-person things. So I think that we're continuing to do these things that brings out the community, that brings out the parents. So the parents get a chance to meet each other and and make friends. And the kids get these events that are off screens and out in the community. And that I think is so important right now with everything that's going on is that we are still being a community and getting out there for each other. And, you know, sometimes these, um, these town pages you see on Facebook, they can just be so negative and so terrible. But then when it comes down to it and you're actually out in the community, people are wonderful to each other and help each other. And when my friend, you know, Laura Finicaro's house burned down in the fall, this community came out like I've never seen anything in my life. People who I know had different political opinions and, and, you know, school opinions. And there's a lot, you know, going on that time with that kind of stuff. They were at my doorstep dropping stuff off for that family, no matter what their party was, or, you know what I mean? My driveway was full from the time that fire started for days, people just coming down my driveway, dropping off anything and everything you could imagine. People literally handing me a stack of cash being like, please make sure that the Finicaros get this, you know, what do they need? People are wrapping up blankets. I mean, any things off like literally off their back, you know what I mean? Just because they wanted to support a community member. That was huge for me to see that because sometimes I think we start to feel like we are kind of drifting apart as a community with the, just the way society is. But when it comes down to it, when something happens to a community member, everybody really just rallied. Yeah. In this day and age when there, it feels like there's so many things pulling us apart that at the center of it, community still brings us back together. Absolutely. We're out here as a community for our children and our community members, and we're just trying to do what we can as a community to raise our children in a really positive, you know, supportive environment and where they do feel like they're part of this town and they're part of this community. By being a volunteer these years, it's really made me feel like, you know, this is my home. You know, I've only been here for eight years, but yeah. Well, next step is next time everybody gathers around you and cheers is to not feel awkward. It's like so funny. I've never like I've never liked that socially, but I was like, oh, my gosh, it was just a surreal feeling to be somewhere like I've done a lot of speeches before. I've done a lot of talking, public speaking, and I have no problem with it. But like when it's like an event that was for me when and that's another thing. There are so many other volunteers in Brookline who work just as hard as if it's not harder than me. You know, I felt almost guilty receiving an award when I could look in that room right there while I was getting the award and say, you know, she should get one. And my co-president, you know, there's just, it's a group effort. And I couldn't even do half of what I do without all those volunteers. Like I might organize something, but I'm not the one who's always the one on the ground making it happen. There's so many other people who work really hard. So I think that's really where the a little bit of the uncomfortableness came from was like, it, this is this award shouldn't be just for me. There's so many other well-deserving people in town. That's what makes you an exceptional volunteer and an exceptional person. So 
I really appreciate your mentality. And Miranda, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. And congratulations on your award. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Many thanks to the Samuel P. Hunt Foundation for sponsoring this podcast. Established in 1951, Samuel P. Hunt Foundation is a Manchester-based, independent nonprofit that provides grants primarily for the arts, children and youth services, faith-based organizations, educational institutions, healthcare, and human services. This podcast was brought to you by Nixon Peabody, who delivers exceptional legal services for clients in the community by combining high performance, an entrepreneurial spirit, deep engagement, and an unwavering commitment to a culture of collaboration, diversity, and humanity. Nixon Peabody works with universities, hospitals, and nonprofits of every size to maximize impact. For more information, visit nixonpeabody.com. Today's show was also brought to you by Merrimack County Savings Bank, who proudly supports the mission and efforts of New Hampshire Children's Trust. Found in 1867, Merrimack has served people, businesses, nonprofits, and municipalities in central and southern New Hampshire for over 155 years by treating everyone with care, respect, and compassion. Visit your local offices in Bow, Concord, Kentucky, Hookset, and Nashua, or go to www.themerrimack.com. New Hampshire Family Now is listed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or ask your smart speaker to play New Hampshire Family Now. 